It was the uh, first day of school, and the kindergarten teacher wanted to connect with her students, you know, begin to build a little rapport. So she asked a simple question, where's your heart? And one little boy pointed to the seat of his pants, and he says, it's, it's back here. That's where my heart is. It's, it's right back here. And he was very sincere in saying this. Well, that caught the teacher by surprise. She's a little perplexed. Johnny, why would you say that? Why do you think your heart's back here? And so the little boy explained. He said, well, every week I go to visit my grandmother, and when I walk through the door, she always pats me on the behind and says, bless your little heart. (laughs) (laughs) I think that little boy was mixed up. But you know what? His teacher had asked him a great question, and I think it's a question we ought to ask ourselves every day. Where's your heart? You know, a father takes his son out for the day on a little fishing trip, and you would think that the main reason for this little excursion is so the father and son can spend some time with each other. You know, just talk and enjoy each other's company. And yet all day long as they sit in that boat, the fish aren't biting. They're not catching a thing, and you can tell that dad's getting more and more frustrated. In fact, by the end of the day, the lines are still empty. They haven't caught a thing. And so on the drive home, dad's silent. He's not saying a word. He is clearly upset. He's in a foul mood. And it becomes clear to the little boy that the most important part of that day, at least for his dad, was not spending time with his child. No, what mattered most to dad was catching fish. You see, the father's disappointment and frustration told you everything you needed to know about where his heart was. Or let's say you're sitting in a restaurant and you're spending some time with a friend. This, this is somebody you just really trust and admire. So you think, hey, this might be a good moment to, to open up and, and talk about some of the struggles I've been going through. You know, get a little feedback, a little perspective, because I really trust their wisdom. You know, and hey, am I seeing things right? I'd like to hear what you think about this. And yet, the whole time you're opening your heart, you're bearing your soul. The whole time you're talking, they're yawning and looking <laughs> elsewhere and and they're, they're paying more attention to the other people in the restaurant than they're paying attention to you. Or the whole time you're talking, they're tapping on the phone and sending and receiving texts. So you try to be polite and say, hey, let's just wait to another time to talk about this. And they say, oh, no, 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 keep talking. I'm listening, as they keep sending more and more texts. Well, it's hard for you to believe that they really care. Their words say one thing, but their actions show you something else. Their actions show you their heart's not in this conversation. Their heart somewhere else. Or contrast that with this. You've been gone on a business trip. You've been away from home for a while. And your daughter, your four-year-old daughter's really missing you. So when mom's not looking, she pulls the phone out of her purse and she tries to send you a text. Now there are no actual words in the message. All you can see on your screen are 15-letter G's and 16-letter L's and 12-letter K's. But instantly you smile because you know who this is from. Hey, that's my little girl. And, and though the message on the screen is totally incoherent, yet your heart just lights up because you know exactly what your daughter's trying to say. This little girl loves her daddy. Even though she's only four years old and she doesn't know the first thing about how to send a text, yet that little girl has made it crystal clear where her heart is. Her heart belongs to daddy. Where's your heart? Does it belong to God? I mean, I know you're here today because you say you love God. You're here today because you say God's important to me. God is a priority in my life. But do those words come from the heart? 
The words that you've been singing today, the words that you've been praying today, do they really come from the heart? Let's imagine you're sitting in a coffee shop one day, you're supposed to meet a friend, and they're 30 minutes late. When they finally come walking through the door, they've got this excuse, hey, you won't believe what just happened to me. As I was getting in my car, this piano, this grand piano, fell from the 16th floor of the apartment building where I live, and it landed right on top of my head. And it made a huge mess of everything. I I mean, when that piano hit me, it knocked the keys out of my hand. It took me forever to find the keys. That's why I'm late. Sorry. Now, how do you react to that? Um, I'm pretty sure you're lying to me. I mean, if you've been hit by a piano, a grand piano, I'm pretty sure I'm going to know about that because I think it's going to show. You're going to look different. You're going to talk different. You're going to walk different. I mean, everything about you is going to be different. I mean, to be hit with the weight and magnitude of something like that, to be hit with that kind of force, that kind of impact, there's no way you stay the same. Everything about you is going to look different. You say, God's important to me. You say, God is a priority in my life. You say, my heart belongs to the Lord. Well, if that's true, don't you think it's going to show? I mean, to be hit with the weight and magnitude of that kind of awesome love, would it not change everything about you? If your heart has really been impacted by God's love, wouldn't everything about you be different? That's the problem that we're dealing with in the book of Malachi, the book that we're going to talk about today. In the book of Malachi, Malachi, you find a group of people who keep making this claim, our heart belongs to the Lord. And yet everything about their life, everything about their lifestyle testifies otherwise. See, the book of Malachi is God's Valentine's card. It's only four chapters, got 55 verses, so it's a really short book. And yet throughout the entire book, here's God opening his heart. Here's God just burying his soul. Here's God just constantly pouring out his love for his people. And yet they won't respond in kind. Every time he talks, they just yawn. They seem bored, distracted. Worse than that, every time God talks, you'll notice this as you read through the book, every time God talks, They question and challenge what he says. Seven different times in this book, you will hear the the people say, how? Oh, Lord, why'd you say that? How how can that be? Surely that's not true. God, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Every time he talks, they dispute it. They argue with them, which shows they, they really don't trust him. Their heart's not in this relationship anymore. God and his people are not on the same page. They're not even on the same planet. They are worlds and worlds apart. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Take a look at this with me. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. Here's just one of many examples you'll see in this book where they say one thing, but their lifestyle shows something else. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father. A slave is master. Everybody knows that. That's true. A son will honor his father. A slave, if, if it's a healthy relationship, a son will honor his father. A slave will honor his master. So God says, if I'm your father, and he is, where's the honor that's due me? If I'm your Lord and master, and he is, then where's the respect that is due me? It is you priests, now get this, the priests, these are the very men that have been appointed by God. Appointed by God to help the people when they come to the temple. So when they make those offerings, when they offer those sacrifices, they can help usher people into the very presence of God. Those priests are there to help people have this life-changing encounter with the Lord. And yet, instead of helping that, they hinder that because of the half-hearted way they go about everything. I mean, they're just 
careless and blasé about everything they do. They're just going through the motions. Hey, I'm only here because it's just a job. I'm just here to get a paycheck. They don't take anything seriously. They don't take God seriously. They don't take what they do for God seriously. So the Lord's going to challenge. He has this charge. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. Now watch how the priests respond. You know, if you do any kind of marriage counseling, whether you're an official counselor or you're just a friend doing your best to help this couple get reconciled again, and yet as you're sitting there and you're talking, you notice one of the parties begin to roll their eyes. Whoa, that's a big red flag. I mean, right away, you know, oh, this relationship's in big trouble. Because that simple gesture, just rolling the eyes, tells you something about their attitude that they have lost any sense of compassion for that other person. They now see that other person with utter contempt. There's no respect. There's no regard. They despise that other person. And that's the kind of attitude that will kill a marriage. That's what we're seeing with these priests. They respond to God say, contempt? Oh, God, surely not. So, how? And then they just roll their eyes. There's God again, nagging us. Just always on our case, always nagging us. He's not doing anything of the kind. Here is God who is fighting hard for this relationship. He wants to repair the damage. He wants to do everything he can to get this relationship back in a healthy place. And yet, like a rebellious child, here are the priests challenging everything their parent, their heavenly parent says and does. How? How have we, oh, this can't be true. How have we shown contempt for your name? So God gently but firmly responds by offering defiled food to my altar Defiled food? What are you talking about? How, how have we defiled you? And so God explains further. By, he's talking. Let's, let's get talking about this because we want to correct this. Here's God really trying hard to get this relationship back in place. He says, by, showing, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. Let, let's fo- God says, let's focus not what, what you're saying. Let's focus on what you're actually doing. Let's see where your heart really is. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? The law says bring your best to God, not your leftovers. Bring your best, a lamb without blemish. And yet the priests, they just grab whatever happens to be at hand. Hey, don't put yourself out. Don't go to a lot of trouble. This is really not that big of a deal. Just anything will do. Mediocre offering, mediocre attitude behind that mediocre offering. They have no regard for God. When you, here's another example, when you sacrifice lame, diseased animals, is it not wrong? God says try offering that to your governor. Try treating your boss like that. You know, instead of an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, show up late, leave work early when you are on the job, only give a half-hearted effort. Is your boss going to put up with that? Are you going to be able to hang on to a job when you're acting like that? I mean, will your boss be pleased? Will he accept you? No. Well, if he wouldn't accept that, why do you think God should? Do you hear what God's saying? Where's your heart? It's pretty obvious to me by the way you're acting. Your heart's not in this relationship anymore. You know, our our planet, planet Earth, one of the interesting things about our planet is our planet has this magnetic field, this strong magnetic field, which means when you hold a compass in your hand, the needle on that compass will begin to tremble and it will begin to move because it can feel the pull of that powerful magnet. But here's the irony. You can go down to your local dollar store and you can purchase a 59-cent magnet. And with that little magnet, you can also exert a pull on that needle. Wouldn't it be a shame if that compass only felt the tug of that tiny magnet, that cheap magnet, but it never knew what it was like to be drawn and pulled by the force and power of the greater magnet, planet Earth's 
built-in magnet. Or think about a flower and how the flower will lift its drooping head when it begins to feel the powerful rays of the sun. And yet you can take that same flower and put it underneath a, a small lamp, and the flower will continue to grow because of the heat and the light that comes from that tiny light bulb. But wouldn't it be a shame if that flower only experienced the heat from that small lamp, but it never felt the glow and the warmth of the mighty sun? That's the shame that we are witnessing here in the book of Malachi. Here are people who instead of opening themselves to God, instead of allowing themselves to feel the pull and the force of His awesome love, they have now allowed themselves to be drawn away and influenced by other interests and other concerns, things that are tiny and cheap and insignificant, and they're missing out on what is best, the glow and warmth of God's amazing grace. It's such a sad situation. So the question is, how do you turn this around? How do you get your heart back to where it's supposed to be? And I'm sure there's a lot of ways to answer that question, but this morning I just want to make one small suggestion. You need a Malachi. You need a Malachi in your life. You need to pray for God to do for you what he did for the people back here. Send a Malachi your way. Now let me explain. Have you ever noticed how each one of your friends has this unique ability to pull something out of you that nobody else can? You know, there's one certain friend who just loves to gossip. And you notice when you spend a lot of time with this person, when you hang out with them, you begin to want to gossip too. You find yourself wanting to criticize and pronounce judgment on others. Yet you have this other friend who hates to gossip. They just don't like to gossip at all. And you notice that when you spend time with them, that need to gossip suddenly begins to disappear. The one friend has the knack to draw out the best in you. The other friend has this knack of pulling out the worst in you. Which means with any kind of connection you've got, you've got to constantly be asking yourself, how is this friendship affecting me? Is it pulling me in the right direction or is it pulling me in the wrong direction? Is this friendship helping me to become more and more the person that God wants me to be? Or is this friendship pushing me further and further away from the Lord? My point is this. You spend time with a friend who's like Malachi. You know, somebody whose love for God is real and it's strong. Somebody whose heart is just always open to the Lord. Somebody who every day is just constantly aware of and always deeply grateful for all that God is doing. You spend time with somebody like that, and you know what? Your own heart becomes more and more receptive to the Lord. Have you ever had one of those really bad days where nothing's working out right? And the longer the day goes, the worse everything gets. And so as everything's turning out badly, you become more and more grumpy. <laughs> I have those kind of days. <laughs> and when that happens, you know what I want? Because of all, all the bad things that have been happening to me, what I want more than anything is at the end of the day to be able to come home and just be alone. I don't want anybody to talk to me. I just leave me alone. Let me go sit in a chair so I can just sit there and sulk. I just want to feel sorry for myself. I, I've had a bad day, and I have a right to feel grumpy. And yet, nine times out of ten, you know what happens? <laughs> this is God working. Nine times out of ten, when I have an experience like that, I get home and I walk through the door, and there's my wife, Martha. And instantly, she can sense, oh, this has not been a good day for David. <laughs> and you know what she does? Doesn't say anything. She just walks over and gives me a hug. One of those long, slow, warm embraces where... Just for the longest time, she'll just hold on to me. And then she'll quietly whisper in my ear, 
You know I love you, David. You know that, don't you? I just really love you. And then she just keeps holding on to me. And instantly, my heart melts, and that grumpiness begins to disappear. Now, at first, I want to be honest. At first, I don't like this. At first, I kind of resent it. Hey, I wanted to be grumpy. <laughs> I didn't want this. You're interfering with my plan. I want to sit in that chair. I want to feel sorry for myself. I just want to be grumpy. But she won't let go. She just stands there and continues to hold me, just continues to hug me, just continues to pour her grace into my soul. And you know what happens? Eventually, the grace wins out, and that grumpy spirit just melts away. This is exactly what the Bible's talking about when it tells us in the book of Hebrews, forsake not the assembly of the saints, meaning don't ever give up meeting together. Every opportunity you've got to be with your brothers and sisters of Christ Sunday morning, during the middle of the week with your D group, you don't miss out on a one of those opportunities because when you get together with your brothers and sisters of Christ, they are the Malachi's God has put into your life. And it's in that kind of environment that God's Holy Spirit can begin to work in a powerful way because the Bible says there, Hebrews chapter 10, that in that kind of environment, it's the Holy Spirit who will begin to stimulate us to love and good deeds. He will use those Christian friendships to build and strengthen and enhance that bond with God. So the question is this, where's your heart? Does it really belong to God? I mean, every day, are you allowing God to bring out the best in you? Let's pray. God, we're here today. <laughs> we are here because we need you. Like we've been singing all morning long, we desperately need you. God, we need to see your heart. We need to see and experience again that incredible love you have for us. God, honestly, some of our hearts are pretty cold right now. Some of our hearts are weary because we're just burned down with all kinds of trouble and stress. And, Lord, some of our hearts have been distracted. We've been drawn away by other interests and other concerns, things that are not good for us. But, God, that's why we're here today. We're here because we need to feel again the warmth and glow of your amazing grace. So, God, our prayer is use this moment to pour out your love and just draw us near to you. God, let us get close to your heart again. I pray for that in Jesus' name.